This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hey there, cat lovers. Welcome to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm your host, Dr. Katherine Prim, and I'm a small animal veterinarian and crazy cat lover. Today, I have Dr. Elizabeth Colloran with me, and she is going to talk with us about a very important disease process known as feline infectious peritonitis. So she's going to tell you what you need to know about this frightening infectious disease. So we'll be right back. Kitty Poo Club reinvented the litter box. No more scrubbing that stinky plastic tray. Or worrying, oh my God, do my guests smell that? No cleaning, no scrubbing, no more stink. You are going to love it. Your cats are going to love it. Go to kittypooclub.com and when you order, save 30% on your first auto ship. Visit kittypooclub.com, use code MEOW30 at checkout, and join the club, the Kitty Poo Club. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Colloran, and we are going to talk about FIP. Hi, Dr. Colloran. Hey, hi. It's nice to be with you, Dr. Prim. Well, I'm excited to have you, um, and I want to introduce my listeners to this disease. But first, I want you to tell them a little bit about yourself. I'm a feline specialist. So I spend all of my time and have since 1998 doing nothing but cats. And so while I had to have two practices that that, um, I started, I also have been doing research and assisting in other projects, especially around the new um, alternatives to the cure for feline infectious peritonitis. So I'm part of what's called feline infectious peritonitis warriors, and I act as a consultant for that group. You're welcome here because we love that. You're a cat vet, so you have come to the right place. So tell us a little bit about feline infectious peritonitis. What is it? Where does it come from? And so on. Well, ironically, having just gotten through COVID, everyone will know that it's a coronavirus. And it's a very ubiquitous virus, as we all now know. This one mutates from a very benign form into a very aggressive form that up until a few years ago was uniformly deadly. And in kittens, especially young cats who were the most vulnerable to this illness, once the diagnosis was made, the prognosis was grave. It was a heartbreaking thing to be a feline practitioner or someone who, who is a veterinarian who loves cats like you to diagnose this disease and basically tell people, I know you love this kitten. I know you love this young cat, but there is nothing I can do. And in beginning in 2019, all of that began to change. And so the most important thing people to know is if they get a diagnosis of feline infectious peritonitis in their cat, it is not the end of the world by a long shot these days. No, I, I have always hated this disease, so you are absolutely right. However, like you sort of mentioned, when the COVID thing came along, it sort of allowed everybody to, to learn a little bit about 
viruses and mutations and different things. So, I mean, I guess maybe that's a silver lining. But, you know, I do think that people now are a little bit more accepting of what the deal with a virus mutating is. So tell us a little bit more about kind of the pathogenesis of FIP and who gets it and how we can recognize it. FIP is a coronavirus. It begins as a coronavirus that is a completely benign or just about completely benign virus that lives in most cats. They get it when they're born or they acquire it through the sharing of litter boxes in the home. And by and large, cats that have coronavirus living in their bodies are asymptomatic. This virus, when it mutates, mutates into a deadly form. It leaves the GI tract where it lives, and it goes to hang out in cells that cause a really massive immune response. So it goes to monocytes and macrophages, and it causes this massive inflammatory response um, using the immune system to basically make the cat very ill. It's a hard thing to diagnose, or it was up until recently. Um, it's pretty easy now, but the suspicions are if you have a kitten that suddenly stops eating, has a fever, probably a fever that comes and goes, seems all of a sudden to become lethargic, or the ones that are most easily t- to diagnose are the ones that develop fluid in their abdomen. So those are the sort of presenting signs in, a, in what is by and large a, a disease of young cats. So if one of my listeners had a cat that they were worried about, obviously it would be a sick cat and they would include the veterinarian. But what could they anticipate in that visit for the veterinarian to try to make that diagnosis? Well, it's building the diagnostic wall. So does this sound like this cat, cat comes from the kind of environment say a multi-cat household, it's more common, especially if there's a little bit of stress or crowding. If it's a young cat who presents with these signs, those are the first clues. And then, of course, the veterinarian is going to do a full physical exam and, and, you know, get a good history and then propose some normal screening tests that anyone would suggest. For example, screening out feline leukemia and FIV viruses, doing some baseline blood work to look for what might be diagnostic for uh, something else. The first thing we want to do is make sure that, you know, it's not something else. And then um, if there's fluid present, there are tests that can be definitive about the diagnosis. But the most important thing to remember is that a lot of veterinarians yet don't know that there's a cure. And so very often they'll put the cats on antibiotics The fever is one that kind of comes and goes, and so the fever will go away for a little bit, and they think they've cured the cat, and those are the ones that that I see. They come for a second opinion because the cat's not getting any better, and and the antibiotics were just part of this undulating fever thing and, and not really helpful, so that's when we have to have the discussion about what we can do next, and it's not really straightforward. It's a very gray area of treatment. And it's one that only people who are willing to engage in it are active. And if you have a veterinarian that doesn't want to go there, then there are places they can go to get help. So my listeners might anticipate a full physical exam and a, and a full history and, and maybe some blood testing to rule out the other things that we commonly see in cats that would have a different treatment protocol, right? Exactly right. And so we want to make sure that we're not missing something that's really easy to manage or cure. And then 
back, so we sort of back into the, the diagnosis of FIP, particularly if there's no fluid present. There's fluid present in the abdomen. Boy, that's pretty diagnostic in a young cat for FIP. And, and especially if that fluid has a lot of protein in it, you know, there are a few signs that are very specific for backing into this diagnosis. But certainly, if there's fluid present, you can get a diagnosis pretty quickly. So my listeners might anticipate their veterinarian suggesting to get some of that fluid to do a fluid tap. So that would be certainly something that my listeners might expect their veterinarian to say if they have a sick cat, possibly. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. If there's fluid in the abdomen or in the chest, that is one way to be sure that you know what you're doing. And then it becomes a matter of the gray area. And one of the most important things for people to know is that not all veterinarians realize that there is now a cure for FIP. It is not a straightforward, go get a drug from the pharmacy kind of cure. But nonetheless, we're curing between 85 and 90% of cats now, if they're given the right drug at the right time. And of course, moving quickly is really important. The sicker they are, the less likely they are, they are to recover. So we want to really act quickly on this. So that is something that I really want to learn more about it because there are some things online that I know my listeners could see. And and I would say we probably need to include veterinarians and not just order things online. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. You must have a veterinarian part of this process to help you with all the other things that come along with treatment. So very often these cats will need other forms of therapy. They'll need fluids. They might need a feeding tube. They might need a, a number of different forms of therapy that are completely separate from giving them the drug that cures FIP just to support them for, through the process. I would never suggest that anyone entertain the idea of going directly to the sources for these drugs without a veterinarian in their pocket. Yes, I think that's a really excellent point. So are these drugs approved by the FDA yet? No. And this is where it gets gray. So the two companies, Merck and Gilead, who were engaged in the search for a cure for FIP, working with Dr. Niels Peterson at UC Davis and others around the country, backed out. And they did so because of the human or antiviral drugs that were coming out of this research. And so they abandoned us at a time when we thought we were going to have a legal drug. And so what happened is that the Chinese came and filled that gap and they created some companies that market these drugs um, in this sort of gray area of commerce. And it basically means that we need to use alternative sources to get those drugs, but we also need to make sure that we have a veterinarian involved now, that the interesting thing is it's also the wild, wild west. So when you get on these websites, some of them are bogus, some of them are fake, some of them are sponsored by companies that make the drug. So the only one I ever send people to are FIP Warriors 5.0, which is a Facebook group where you can get help. You send them a DM to um, the administrator there and they will get back to you within hours to hook you up with people that can help you. Okay, I want to take a real quick break and so we'll be right back. Kitty Poo Club reinvented the litter box. No more scrubbing that stinky plastic tray or worrying, oh my God, do my guests smell that? 
Kitty Poo Club has solved the stink. And now the worst part of cat ownership is hassle-free. No cleaning, no scrubbing, no more stink. And the best thing is you don't have to buy some oversized contraption that will break down. Kitty Poo Club litter boxes are manufactured to make your life easier. You have one cat, easy peasy. A small mountain lion, no problem. You are going to love it. Your cats are going to love it. Believe me, there are good reasons why we sold over 3 million boxes. Go to kittypooclub.com, read the amazing reviews, and when you order, save 30% on your first auto ship. Visit kittypooclub.com, use code MEOW30 at checkout, and join the club, the Kitty Poo Club. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Nine Lives with Dr. Cat. I'm here with Dr. Elizabeth Colloran. So you said that most cats already have a harmless form of the coronavirus. But do we know what it is about those cats that allows it to mutate and become this deadly form? We don't. Though there is a relationship between stress and the ability of this virus to mutate. So crowded conditions are set up. There's some some thought that maybe the amount of virus in the environment can contribute to it. But by and large, we really don't know. There are certainly catteries that have all these stressors and never develop FYP. And then there are others that do. And the other thing is multi-cat households. You know, you bring a young cat into a brand new household with a number of other cats and, and that creates a stressful environment, which may have an impact on the immune system at that time. But we really don't. I mean, it would be lovely to say that we knew how to predict what was going to happen and to whom, but we really don't. I agree. It would be lovely if we could. So is there a vaccine for FIP? I I know the answer, but I want you to tell my listeners about it. Well, that's where I've gotten into a lot of trouble. So the answer is yes. The answer is, does it work? No. So in Turkey, for example, where I did when did a lecture a couple of years ago, they had this vaccine that they were really aggressively selling. And they were telling me that they had this vaccine for FIP. And I was like, yeah, I don't think so. It turns out there really is a vaccine. It doesn't work. If they achieved control in what are called specific pathogen-free cats, but when they tested it against infected cats and non-infected cats, there wasn't any benefit that they found in that vaccine. So that's one of the reasons why we need to cure it is because at this point in time, unlike with COVID, there's no really good vaccine for it. I think there will be, but not yet. Well, and you're, and you're not alone in not agreeing with that because the American Association of Feline Practitioners also does not recommend the FIP vaccine. So I don't want you to take the hit all by yourself. There are other people. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so are there any things, if there are some listeners out there that have a multi-cat household, are there any husbandry things or practices that they could adopt that might sort of try to minimize these risks? You know, there are. I mean, the virus, for example, is most commonly, you know, it's a fecal oral transmission. So these cats go into shared litter boxes, and then they come out and groom themselves and and ingest coronavirus, and that's how they get infected. So the cleaner the litter boxes are, the more of them there are per cats in the household, 
the lower the amount of stress. So when we talk about stress in cats, especially in multiple cat households, creating environments where there are absolutely unlimited resources, so there's no competition, there's no sense of worry on the part of these cats that they're going to get what they need. There's no competition for food or water or litter boxes or resting places. The way that we lower stress in cats is to be able to provide them with the resources they need without competition. You know, I tell my clients all the time because they don't see the silent communication between cats that, <laughs> that is the, I don't know, the herald that there are problems. But um, do you have an opinion about things like pheromones to help decrease stress? Uh, you know, we do know that, that there is some benefit to using, for example, a plug-in pheromone diffuser. That said, that doesn't change what you need to do to reduce the stress. It does help. It's kind of like the low-hanging fruit. If you're going to go harvest your apples, you're going to pick the lowest ones first. So yeah, go plug in a feline pheromone diffuser, but don't hesitate to harvest the rest of the apples. Make sure there's plenty of resting places, plenty of litter boxes, and all the rest of those things we talked about, because those diffusers will not replace the obligation to provide a safe environment for these cats. It's not an easy button, but my clients all want it to be an easy spray or something like that. But yeah, so providing vertical spaces, keeping litter boxes clean. Do you ascribe to the theory of having a litter box for each cat plus one or maybe plus more than one? You know, I don't. And because I think that what's most important is relationships. So when you identify who's related, like for example, if any of your cats sleep together, groom each other, wrap tails around each other, walk by each other and rub, rub against one another. Those cats are bonded. They're happily happy to share a litter box because they belong together, they love each other, and they're completely bonded. So those cats probably really only need a litter box, maybe two. It is in the multi-cat environment where unrelated cats, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of my clients do this. Every couple of years, they adopt a new cat and they think their cat, new cat, you know, their cat needs a new companion. Well, that cat doesn't need a new companion. He's mad as hell because somebody else has moved into his territory. So in those particular cases, we want to make sure that not only how many litter boxes there are, but where they are. So we want to reduce the ability for, say, a cat to defend a litter box from other cats. So they have to be in different spaces. For example, it's really important to do that and make sure that there's, you know, no defensible, like you don't want to put two litter boxes in a room with one door. <laughs> so that's how part of the planning process. Like no bottleneck to get there, right? <laughs> exactly. So what about making sure that the litter boxes far away from food and water dishes? You mentioned a fecal oral contamination. What is your recommendation along that line? Well, we know that, that cats really don't like to eat or drink near where they eliminate. When you watch feral cat colonies in the wild, they set aside these places to eliminate that are far away from where they sleep, where they eat, and where they consume water. So it's really important to consider those kinds of things, even no matter what, even without a consideration of coronavirus at all. Those litter boxes need to, in fact, I think that, that food and water bowls should be separate from one another. And any cat that's unrelated should be fed in a place where there's no visual contact between that cat and any other cat that's unrelated to them in the household. So I think that's really important when you say unrelated. You're talking about cats that are not bonded, right? Oh, exactly right. Yeah. 
So, um, all right, here's here's a question for you. Do you think that there is a maximum number of cats in a home that can be present and not have stress? You know, that's a really good question because I live in a community that's a very mixed community. There are people that are just barely getting by and they've got, you know, two kids and a two-bedroom apartment. And that kind of circumstance is way different than some of my other clients who own the big car dealerships in town and they have a 13-room house with, you know, five bedrooms and five bathrooms and that kind of thing. So I think it's really a matter of individual spaces. and, And as you pointed out, vertical spaces are really important. So I think, and I have a friend who in Southern California who has, I don't know how many cats he has, but his whole house is designed to accommodate his cats and his cats needs. So if you pay attention to what they need, I think that that you can have multiple cats safely in a place that maybe isn't that big, as long as you take into consideration all the things that they need. Excellent. So if someone wants to learn more about FIP or you or cats, how could they find you? My website is chicocats.com. That's our our practice website. Um, I can be reached through that email if anybody has any particular questions. My recommendation to anybody would be to go to FIP Warriors 5.0 on Facebook. You can learn a lot there. And then there's another website called zenbycats.org, and that's a nonprofit, and you can find the latest news on all things FIP on that website, because one of the fellows that runs that website and runs the charity, he had one of the first cats to survive FIP, so he's one of my heroes. Zenbycatsingular.org. Perfect. And FIP Warriors 5.0. That's excellent. I encourage all of my listeners to find out more about this important disease and then the exciting treatment options that are that are now present. So thank you so much, Dr. Collar, and I really appreciate your time. It's been a great pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for asking me. Oh, anytime you are welcome to come back because after all, this is an audience of cat lovers. I'd be delighted. I want to thank my amazing producer, Mark Winter, because you guys know that without him, we couldn't do what we do. And also my listeners. So you guys go out and have a perfect day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.